There are some nights where the stars align, where things fall into place and where dreams come true. Welcome to The Raw Deal and to our very first emergency podcast uh, for 2023 and what a reason for it. We are currently sitting down only a few hours after the final siren here on a Sunday morning uh, following the port demolition at the Gabba. And now we are just one more Gabba win from returning to the last Saturday in September for the first time in 19 years. Welcome to the audio equivalent of a party as we look back on Brisbane's strongest finals performance in a very long time and uh, and start to dream ahead to two weeks. But I think this week is for the dreaming. The next week will be for the nerves. Uh, Mike Whiting does join me here. Um, we were just saying maybe the closest we've ever sat together uh, after a game here. My voice is still a little bit scratchy. I'm a little bit dusty this morning. It was a late night for me. Um, I think I saw you tweeting at about two a.m. When, when did you When did you get <laughs> off for the night, Mike? I was in bed about one thirty. Yeah. So <laughs> I think I I got home about one o'clock and had a shower and just. Probably, I won't pretend it's like players, but it takes a while to wind down, doesn't it? So, oh, <laughs> I probably, I probably nodded off about one thirty. So, and I didn't, I slept pretty poorly. But anyway, that's um, it was a great, <laughs> it was a great night. So, awesome, awesome um, performance by Brisbane, and yeah, a win away from a grand final. Look, who needs coffee when you can just think of that that double country road sing along? <laughs> that's enough caffeine to get me through the week. I think is a stimulant. I, I have had one though, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> I think actually instead of coffee now, I'm going to start every day just watching that clip. It yep. will have the equivalent of – actually, you'd, you'd have to be careful when you watch it because you watch it too often and actually you'll get too energised. Yeah. You've got to be it's very moderate with your consumption of that clip because that was pretty moment, great. Amazing moment, wasn't it? Oh. The, the, final, oh. the final strains of the first rendition and he's kicking another goal. So that was a memorable – that's something I, that's a moment I think we'll remember for a long time. I thought that – like that's that's proper Gabba folklore now, yeah. that, that mm. moment. So, look, there is so much to talk about with this game. We've got a lot of your questions to get to. We've got uh, the Raw Deal medal votes to give out, obviously doubled in a final. And, uh, and it was a, a tricky one mm. more than usual in a final. You, you didn't have your Lockie Neal starring performance. Charlie Cameron, I mean, he had that great moment, but he was pretty quiet. Um, th- th- this is maybe the big talking point looking at the game as a whole is that Lockie, pretty quiet. Charlie, by his standards, a bit quiet. Harris Andrews was good, but still had three or four goals kicked mm. on him. And yet Brisbane win by 50 points almost. That that's, that's ominous for other teams, that you could shut Brisbane's superstars down and still be beaten in that margin. Yeah, well said, Dom. That, that was my big takeaway as well. The fact that the Brisbane don't need their stars to play at their absolute peak to win anymore. And that's not been the case previously. They haven't always needed those guys to be at their best, but to have none of them, and that's not shade on their performances. I thought Lockie was decent after quarter time he actually worked his way into the game but he didn't dominate by any stretch at, at any stage same with charlie he had a good two minutes there but and did his role again like some of the rundown tackles and like he did um great things elsewhere but those guys didn't have to go above and beyond did they like no. there was so many contributions which we're going to get to but uh it was tricky picking the best players um thankfully that wasn't one of my tasks last night and i was glad i, I mean i think there was five or six standouts in, but Boy, everyone put their hand up last night. Not too many guys you could look at and say, oh, he had a down game. Well, look, the real joy of these emergency podcasts is we get to talk in great depth about pretty much everybody. So buckle yeah. up. Whatever <laughs> yep. you're doing as you're listening to this, this is this is just an episode of Basking. We will look a little bit ahead to prelim possibilities, but um, we'll be back for our usual podcast in the, in the normal slot next week where we'll do a prelim preview and maybe see if we can get a guest on to help us do that one for Melbourne or Carlton. 
Um, but look, we're, I, I, I think the night for me, the, the main reflection I had walking away, Mike, and I'm going to be honest, I'm just buzzing this morning. It's probably coming across. People, <laughs> like, I, Dom, I was on the way to this podcast. I was on the way to recording this morning and I was thinking, yeah. people don't want to hear my measured takes this morning. <laughs> they want to hear Dom basking, mate. So the floor look, is yours. It was a night for the optimists. It absolutely was. I mean, I all year I have been... Um, saying on this podcast, I have a great feeling that we're actually ready, that this is the year. Hold the faith in the Hawthorne loss. Hold the faith in the Bulldogs loss and the Suns loss. I think this group has it in them to go to another level. Um, Did I waver inside of myself occasionally? Yeah, sure I did. Uh, I didn't share that so often on here, but obviously, you know, you never know what's going to happen until it unfolds. But we've been saying all year, you you just have to get to September and that's when you have to be able to play your best footy. And that's exactly what, what Brisbane did. And the the sense of euphoria at the Gabba last night, it was a carnival-like atmosphere there. It, it, it honestly felt like like the most fun night at the footy that I can remember. Someone who was sitting the row behind me, actually, I heard I heard this, this guy talking about, he said, this is what it used to feel like in the premiership days when mm. opposition sides would come up here in finals and Brisbane would just bash them and dominate them and send them back home. There was a, a sense of, I think we're the big dogs now. I think I think finally this is a team that's matured to a new level. Like we, we haven't seen that that kind of performance from Brisbane in a final in this five year run. That that was dominance on another level. Yeah, and I think um, you talk about the carnival atmosphere. It felt like late in that third quarter there was just an avalanche, yes. and that's when it got. And it was after the Charlie goals because Port kicked a couple after that. It was back to fifteen points, mm. but then there was just bang, 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 and you're like, oh, they've just put the match to bed. Yeah. And it was thirty-seven or thirty-eight points at three-quarter time. You thought this game's done, and it just happened so fast. And then obviously that made the last quarter. I'd imagine, mate, so much more enjoyable. There was no stress anymore for that last thirty or forty minutes of general play. So, yeah, it was a great performance and and dominant. And I wonder. I mean, we'll see in a couple of weeks. I've got one more match to win at the Gabba, but. I, I wonder how much of an intimidation factor the venue is now. Yes. Coupled with the crowd, it's yeah. all all encompassing. But uh, and, and they've been run close at the Gabba a, a bunch of times late in the season, but it's an imposing record and you come to the Gabba now, positions come to the Gabba knowing, boy, we have got to play an incredible brand of footy for 120 minutes to beat this Brisbane team because they've just got weapons everywhere and they can rattle on goals so fast. Yeah, I actually did have a moment last night. Um, I think it was after Joe's goal and hearing the noise in the Gabba. You're going to find this funny. I, I was weirdly nostalgic for the stadium, thinking we're going to lose this stadium in a couple of years. <laughs> yep. Like in the new stadium, I, I was lucky enough over the, the pre-finals bye week, I did go to WA um, to visit a friend. And I did an Optus Stadium tour while I was over there because, you know, when in Perth. Um, and it's a stunning stadium. You been to Optus? Yeah, no, I haven't. No. No. Okay. No. It's a stunning venue, Optus. Um, but there was something as I'm walking around that the Gabba's like the, the comfortable pair of slippers. <laughs> We've got so many fond memories there. The noise is incredible. Uh, absolutely, it's not really functioning as a stadium anymore, as anybody who tried to get in or out of the venue last night could attest to, um, but it, it is our, our little stadium, and I feel like there's there's so many memories like last night that we'll be telling about for, for decades to come from that place. It'll be the old Gabba. Yes. Remember back at the old Gabba. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, I, I was actually so where I wanted to start the conversation as we look through the game in a bit more depth, Mike. I was uh, I walked to the game with my dad and my friend Timothy. Um, a beautiful afternoon for a walk from Cooparoo to the Gabba, and as we're walking along, I kind of I was a little bit restless a little bit I don't the word almost um, impatient comes to mind 
And I, I was saying to them both, I feel like where we need to see from Brisbane this year that there is this step of maturity that's happened with finals. Um, you, you look at Richmond when they finally broke through or Melbourne when they finally broke through Geelong last year. These teams who'd been knocking for a long time, it, you could almost tell from the moment their finals campaigns begun, this is a team that has steeled themselves and they're now ready. And and that's what I was really hoping to see from Brisbane. Obviously, you never know what you're going to get until until the match starts. But pretty quickly, especially in the third quarter, but pretty quickly as the game kicked off, there was a sense that the fragile underbelly that we've seen from Brisbane sometimes in big games wasn't anywhere to be seen. No, and Port Adelaide kept coming as well. Yes, I thought yeah. I was actually for a lot of that match for at least till halfway through the third quarter, I was sitting with the, the journos and saying this game doesn't feel safe for Brisbane, even though they kind of had a you know three to four goal buffer for quite a bit because it felt mm. like every time Port went forward, they were getting a shot at goal. And they butchered a lot of early in the first quarter. Obviously, a couple of those um, guys were a bit nervous. I think Todd Todd Marshall, I don't know what was going on with Todd Marshall. He had the yips. He's normally such yeah, a good goal kicker. Yeah. But that, it just looked like every time Port went forward, they were scoring. And I thought, gee, this lead doesn't feel safe. And sometimes that can um, wear on a team a bit. Brisbane felt like they had field position and dominance with inside 50s, but Port would run it down the other end and get a shot at goal and just keep them, just keep within touching distance. But it just didn't deter Brisbane. They just mm. kept playing their way, forcing turnovers, winning ball at stoppage, and more importantly, not just winning the ball at stoppage, which was pretty even in the end, but just scoring from it. They were moving the ball so quickly from, from clearance. And yeah, it was polished performance. And it, didn't really, although I never felt it was safe until late in the third quarter, it didn't really feel like they were under great pressure, though, by the same token, did it? Because it just felt like they had poured at arm's length and they were largely playing the way they wanted to. Look, uh, on the Todd Marshall front, I probably need to apologise to the Marshall family. That's my fault because every time he did take a mark, I did say to the people around me, oh, he's the best set shot in the he, comp. He's, he's going to nail this. Yep. And that seemed to moz him every time. So, sorry, Todd. It turns out I've got a lot more power yeah. than I realised and I ruined your night. But that it actually reminded me a lot, Mike, of Brisbane versus Richmond in the first 2019 final where, you know, we were new. And I know Port aren't new to finals, but they didn't play last year. But we were we were less experienced in finals, obviously, that year. And you could see the jitters get to Brisbane, missing a lot of shots we'd normally kick. Well, Richmond were just sort of clinical and not at all overawed by the occasion and, and you know, kicked incredibly accurately. I think accurately. they kicked 18-4 or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. It, it honestly felt like the roles were reversed mm. with that last night. So, you know, when, when Marshall's missing those goals, especially the two that, that didn't even score, you're thinking, what on earth's going on here? Well... You know, Zach Bailey, Cam Rayner, and Link McCarthy are curling it in mm. from the boundary line. It was a, it was a real moment of confidence versus maybe um versus some sense of nerves. So funny those shots, the the three that you talk about there. I mean, Bailey's was ridiculous. Like to to yeah. kick that goal after fending off. I can't remember who it was. Bergman, maybe Miles Bergman. I can't remember which player exactly. But it was pretty good, Mike. Fended him pretty off. Good, wasn't it? Sprinted <laughs> just to do that. It was an amazing finish. It was a five percent chance of happening when he got the ball. Mm. But as soon as um, Rainer took his shot from there. I said to the boy, he's, there's, he's not missing this. That's where every player practices from before <laughs> they leave the field, that exact yes. spot. So yeah. it was no. So when you see guys kicking from there, forwards particularly, you know there's a very high percentage chance. Difficult kick though, but yeah. they make it look easy. It's the one they practice the most. Rainer and McCarthy 
sublime finishes. Well, look, actually, we'll get to all the other questions later, but I think it was Kyle who did say, I want to know if Dom's voice was gone from the moment his man Zach kicked that ripping opening goal. I was sitting just above it, Kyle, and uh, was I happy? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was pretty good. I got the phone out to try to find a replay pretty quickly, but that was um, that's the sort of stuff from, from Brisbane that, you know, we said probably for a while that they do have these big game kind of players who, who can stand up. And I mean, how long have we known that finals are about moments? How long, how long have people been saying that? And I think we saw it very much on Thursday and Friday night as well, where arguably the team who had, you know, more opportunities ended up losing both those games because they didn't take their moments. And, and while, you know, Brisbane were probably going to win at any rate on, on Saturday night, the way it unfolded. Certainly, uh, I think the expected score had poured up by two or three goals at half time, and instead Brisbane were up by two or three goals. And and mentally, that makes it so difficult when you, you kind of know you should be in the lead and yet you're coming from behind at the Gabba. It's, it, it really is such a, a finishing game, isn't it? Yeah, sco- scoreboard pressure, yeah. that's a thing. It really <laughs> of is. Of course it is. Like yeah. That's the biggest factor in a game. That's why we, you, you're right by pointing out those matches earlier in the weekend, particularly the Thursday night, Melbourne and Collingwood. Even though Melbourne was smashing the door down, and, until they actually got level or got in front of Collingwood, there was always this sense of, well, they've got to actually prove it yet. They've got to do it. They're fumbling around. They're bumbling around. But And Port, as efficient as – well, I say efficient. In terms of scoring opportunities, are efficient going forward, but they weren't able to convert. And it just that just gives Brisbane – I think Ken Hinckley had a quote after the match saying, you know, Brisbane's finishing fueled them and Port's, um, Port's blemishes sort of almost took energy away from them at the same time. So – Mm. It's a great point. It's the the stat that we probably overlook the most often and it's the biggest, most important one is goal kicking and Brisbane were great last night aside from a couple of hipwood misses in the first quarter. Let's talk a little bit about Port because, I mean, you and I haven't sat down really since the All-Australian team was even finalised. So it's been a little while since we've we've recorded together. Um, that Oppenheimer thing was bizarre. I mean, yeah. I just got to touch bizarre. on it briefly. I know I, I, I don't want to... I'm not going to go wanna... too far down this path, Look, but it was bizarre, <laughs> bizarre is a good word. For those yeah. who missed it, Ollie Wines came out in the, the media through the week and, and revealed that Port were using the film Oppenheimer as their theme in the same way that, you know, Lee Matthews famously had the If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It Predator moment, that Port Adelaide were using Oppenheimer. And uh, I think Ollie's quote was something along the lines of, it's a testament to what could happen when a lot of people work together to achieve the one goal. Now... A lot of people did rightfully pick up that the one goal was maybe the worst thing to happen in human history, the invention of the atomic bomb, and that it, it, surely you could have found a, a, an alternative film with a similar theme and less problematic outcomes. But that that did set a weird tone to the week. It was weird. Yeah. Mighty Ducks or something. Yes, I don't know. Just, like just, there's just a million examples. Of, even. Yep. I mean, you don't go with a <laughs> yep. G-rated family-friendly one. You don't have to. You don't have to go with the atomic bomb. Do you just you? sort of. Yeah, you just sort of scrunch your face up with it, like what, 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 are you, what the hell are you talking about? I know. Mate? That's so bizarre. So, so yeah, it weird. was, it was weird. But I mean, yeah, I mean, probably, is, it probably made no difference on Saturday night, but it was bizarre. If Port do lose to the Giants and go out in straight sets, as a journalist, how tempted would you be to write Port bomb out of the finals? I reckon there'll be headlines like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the 
Adelaide advertised it'll have that one in the back pocket and (laughs) absolutely there'll be no doubt about it yeah yeah very look an unusual moment and if if people haven't seen Ken Hinckley's press conference when he was asked about it that was one of the more awkward press conferences I think I've seen where he eventually says I haven't actually seen the movie (laughs) very look a bit of a bizarre one I love the colour of finals though that's always that's always what adds a little bit of a a texture to it Um, so look we we obviously first quarter uh, get that that relative, I think it was 21 to 10 at quarter time, something along those lines. It looked like we weren't going to get the high scoring game that we were expecting. It, it was pretty congested for a lot of it and teams not taking their opportunities. Um, second quarter, it started to open up a, a little bit more. Um, and this is, this is where we saw uh, Cam Rayner really stamping his influence on the game. Now, um, we'll get to our votes in a moment, but we'll just talk a little bit about Cam's second quarter here because while, you know, other players cashed in a bit later in the game. I think the second quarter was when it was really being fought out. And I thought Cam stood up uh, as he has before in, in these sort of moments. Uh, he stood up phenomenally. He was huge. That The goal on the run from 50. I remember just having the binoculars on him at that moment. Yep. And yep. he's streaming towards the 50 meter arc. And as soon as it left his boot, he started doing like the arc as if he'd kicked the goal. Like he just yes. sort of started running um, towards the Vulture Street wing or as if he'd kicked the goal. And I thought, oh, boy, he has smashed that kick. <laughs> it yeah. sailed through. It was a great moment. Uh, he had it kicked another goal in the second quarter. And you're right, he was so clean. And and I think by at half time, I mean, we will get to our votes. I think certainly in the first half, he was pretty clearly the best player, I thought. Mm. Certainly the most influential, impactful player for Brisbane. And he's been talked about. He's built for finals. He's built for finals. And he has had moments in finals and good performances. But that was another level last night. And it's been yeah. bubbling along, I think. I actually had to listen back uh, earlier this morning to some of our pre-finals predictions. And and you'd called that this was Cam Rainey. You thought he was going to have a couple of best on grounds over this final series. So... I don't know whether he got there last night, but he was pretty damn close. And he—he he looks like that's. I mean, it's hard to expect that every single week from mm. a from a forward because you don't know the opportunities they're going to get. But there feels a little more level of consistency in the last six weeks with him on his yeah. just his attack on the footy. Yeah, he's yes. just a million miles, yeah. and he's so clean though, so clean at ground level, and obviously the skills go without saying. He's one of those players that you'd be terrified to come up against in a mm. final because you you know the level he, he, a bit like we see with Christian Petrarca mm. um you know that if he's on he's going to be incredibly hard to stop from having a big influence on the game so we might get that matchup or the Crips Rainer matchup mm. perhaps in a few weeks time we'll see what happens there but um speaking of our pre-finals predictions Mike uh, we, we had a little bit of vindication, I think, for this show last night. We're getting tweets left, right and centre of people saying uh, comment, predictions I didn't even remember making <laughs> that apparently we made that were accurate. So this podcast, after years of just horrible form <laughs> in calling anything at all, maybe has hit its own finals sweet spot. Yeah, I think what, someone messaged us saying, oh, I think one of you guys got the crystal ball right. And I thought, I can't even remember what I said, to be honest. <laughs> I tracked that down if you're interested. So I did go, yeah. no, I did go back to listen. And that's where I got your pre-finals prediction about Rainer um, having a big finals campaign. And mm. yeah, so we've had a little bit of success. So maybe I should listen back a bit more often. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think, and you picked four goals for Joe and he, he I did. got yeah. his five. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about Joe a little bit later as well. I, 
Charlie didn't quite get the five I predicted, but I think I went with a 40-point win to Brisbane as my prediction for the game and so yeah. uh, in the podcast. I've forgotten that. There so you go. That's pretty close. That's on the mark-ish yep. as well. The one I'm proudest of, though, and the player I want to chat a little bit about now because he started to stand up in the second and third quarters in a, a big way as well, um, was a few weeks ago, somebody said, if you could have one of Dev Robertson or Jasper Fletcher in your finals team, just one, who would you pick? And I think I went Jasper. I'm not sure if you went Jasper or Dev in the end. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'll have to go back and listen. Yep. I'm pretty sure I would have went Jasper. Yeah, yeah I think I'm, so. I'm confident in that. I think we both made the comment that Jasper felt like a player who could have a big impact in finals, especially uh, when we get to the MCG on the wide, expanse, expansive wings of the G. And Jasper last night um, put in uh, – I mean, it's so interesting, Mark. We've spent all of last year talking about Will Ashcroft. So much of this year talking about Will Ashcroft, and with good reason. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal young footballer. But if Will Ashcroft wasn't on the scene and we just drafted Jasper Fletcher, we would be saying the footy gods have smiled on us. Look at this incredible talent we've brought in. To play like that, I mean, I think we both said we didn't think he'd be overawed in a final because of the, the way he kicked his first goal was enough to suggest he doesn't get overawed and he has confidence. You know, that get the goal against the Swans. And we saw that again in this final against Port. If there were any nerves, any jitters going on inside of him, it really didn't show. <laughs> No, not at all. And it's funny, I bumped into a, um, I guess you'd call him a talent scout during the week, and we were talking about Fletcher and uh, and Ashcroft, and he said, uh, he said, you know what, I, I think Jasper could end up a better player than Will. Wow. He said to not, and this is a, this is someone that's had a lot of a lot of experience in the industry, so it wasn't an off the cuff comment, or it was it had been given consideration. And I thought, oh, it just made me think. And obviously, I mean, I'm raising that now because Jasper's had a good game last night. Yes, like there'll yeah. be, tw- you know, 15 games next year after Will Ashcroft gets back, where we're going, oh my god, Will Ashcroft, like this is <laughs> he's he's yeah. ridiculous for a, a 19 or 20 year old as he'll be next year. So, but I think j- people, we included, are just starting to see what. Jasper Fletcher can do. Yeah, he's showed it from debut, but to do that in a final was incredible. And and just he's he's a very smart, obviously. Yes. We know how good he is already in congested situations, what a great decision maker he is. His work rate, f- fantastic. I just keep looking at him thinking, you're playing a wing role, such a difficult role to play. Takes guys a long time to learn that role. The goals he kicked was hard running. He took a mark. Uh, he, he took that mark sort of near the top of the square. I think that was a goal. That, I think that was the one that Bailey might have centred. Yeah. And yep. and Fletcher took the mark, but that was because he was squeezing in from the wing and the goal where Charlie got the free kick and Jasper towed it off the ground. That was because of his work rate to get to that contest. And I thought, mate, he's had one barely a preseason under his belt. Really, mm. he barely did anything last preseason. I thought, once this guy gets a couple of preseasons and builds that running capacity and gets stronger and Man, it's pretty tantalising. Like yeah. what he's doing already. Yeah. You know, I was I was going through Twitter. I think after his third goal, and there's a Port Adelaide supporter who got retweeted into my feed, and the tweet was simply, "Who the f is Jasper Fletcher?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fair question. If there's a Port kid yeah. that's played ten games, yeah, yeah. kicking three goals and having fifteen, and all you've heard about is another kid at the club who's done his ACL, you think, "Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> Where they pulled him from? Was a bit like that. Uh, here's a question for you, Mike. Uh, at uh, th- I think it was halftime or three quarter time. I go to the bathrooms and at the urinal, 
uh, a little bit working blue here, but I happen to be standing <laughs> next to Adrian Fletcher. Oh, yeah. and I, I was, love the awkward urinal <laughs> chat. Uh, oh, g'day. <laughs> well, I'm weighing up. I'm like, do I do I say something? Do I go, geez, Jasper's doing well. I, I decided not to. I decided no, to let the man chat. take care of his business in peace <laughs> and let him go. Do you think that was the right call? A hundred percent. I think that's the right call. <laughs> Good, because I remember, I think it was the 2018 Lions Best and Fairest that my dad, Richard, comes up to me and says, I just ran into Fags at the urinal. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you didn't say anything, did you? And I said, yeah, I said I, I, said I was your dad. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Lovely news. Um, if I asked you for one, Jasper, your favourite Jasper moment from the game, because um, for me there's a clear standout. It's the intercept for me, that which felt almost like a rugby league style. Oh intercept. yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, when yeah. He, he decided just hit to, it on the burst. Yeah, yeah, just backed himself it in, he, and that became a you know it's an overused cliche, but a twelve point goal in the end because that was a if he doesn't get that, Port have a shot at goal. Instead, Is that he the hipwood goal. Yeah, he gets yeah. it, gives it. I think to Charlie, to Charlie who gets it to to Hippie, and yep. Hippie can't oh, decide no. if he wants to play on a shot. That was funny. I mean, <laughs> he kicked the goal eventually, so we can have a laugh about it now. But he. Oh, Sort of played on. He stopped. He went. He's like, well, mate, you've, you're 10 metres over the mark. You've got to keep going. <laughs> no, no, that, was, that was bizarre. I loved But that his, was a great moment. You're right. His Bang cheeky on. grin at the end, Hippie, after he kicked that one. Because yep. he, he knew he almost messed it up too. But that I think that sums up what we've loved about Jasper, which is this: there is no fear at all to take the game on. I mean, you, you look at that first goal against the Swans, that stunning goal he kicked against the Demons mm. um, at the MCG. I mean, this is a player who is talking about built for finals. Players who don't get – I mean, we, we've seen some superstars of the competition who haven't played much finals footy get to finals and look a bit jittery, look a bit overawed, almost like the occasion has weighed too much on them. And then you see this player in his 12th game running in and, and pulling off intercepts like that. The, my, my inkling watching it was it actually felt very much like a Richmond sort of thing. Mm. Like in their, in their prime, you would have had players you'd never heard of seemingly not at all overawed by finals and, and just playing phenomenal football. And – that was what Jasper what Jasper did last night. I, I almost am more excited to see his next game and next two games than I am anyone else on the list. It, it is almost. I do wonder about that sometimes with young players. There is a little bit of that innocence of youth where yes. they don't know any other way. Yeah. We saw it with Darcy Wilmot last year. And, and now we've seen it with he Jasper. Great last he night. was talking about him in a moment, He was terrific yeah. last night. And he just but it's funny, Darcy Wilmot, we know all the excitement he brings. But it feels like he's an established guy now. He's only yes. had 20-odd games. But he walked into a final last year against Richmond, and we know what a great performance he put on. Jasper Fletcher's done it tonight. And I think these kids just walk in not knowing any different. They've walked mm. into a home ground, which is probably a slight advantage for your first final. It feels a little more comfortable. But they're not, um, they don't have scars of previous years and long waits, and it doesn't weigh on them mentally. They're just going out there and playing footy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as simple as it sounds, and... Um, they're not playing, they're not being weighed down by expectations. They're just doing their thing. And he was phenomenal last night. Well, speaking of Darcy Wilmot, I realized after the game, he still hasn't lost at the Gabba, which is a, a pretty yeah, good I run thought for of him. That. Yeah, it's so, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> He's never walked into the Gabba rooms as a loser and, and hopefully that doesn't happen in a couple of weeks' time. That's incredible. He, he was um, top six, seven players for the club last night as well. Agreed. Lottie, and and um, speaking of, as you mentioned, that confidence, that ability to take the game on, he... Um, I don't know. It's it's looking like another uh, drafting masterstroke mm. from from the Lions recruiters because uh, we were at the draft function where yeah. where Darcy Wilmot did get drafted. 
I think I was really keen on uh, that night on, is it Josh Sin, a guy who went to yeah, Adelaide? Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of picks before. A couple of picks before. Yep. And I remember thinking, oh, we've just missed out on a superstar there. Mm. And it's it's one of those signs, again, um, that anyone who's had any passing interest in the draft, I think you get these reminders again and again and again, which is you, you can make these projections when you sort of half watch these these kids in their underage years or their, their, their draft years. But really there's an element of projection and understanding of character that the the draft experts are trying to work with that is just levels above anything we're able to see from yep. a distance. And the Lions recruiter said this with Darcy Wilmot. He was one of the, the youngest players in the draft. He's I think the youngest, because he's, he's December 31 birthday, yep. isn't he? Yeah, That's it. So still 19 years old, yep. not even hasn't mm. even turned 20 yet. And looking at this now, I mean, for, for not the first time in this run, Steve Canole has every right to... To just feel to walk around with a little bit of a head wobble. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent, he does. And you talk about Josh Sin; he's been smashed by injuries this year, hasn't had a chance. Now, who knows whether that would have happened if he if he slipped through to Brisbane and Brisbane picked him or not? I don't mm. even know if Brisbane had an intention of picking him. I think they will always say they had their eyes on Wilmot, which they surely did. But mm. uh, Sin's been cruel by injury, and Darcy Wilmot, after a really checkered sort of year last year, he got COVID when he was about to get picked in the team, and he had these setbacks, but. Once he got given his chance in a final, bang, has not looked back. So, yeah, yeah. great selection from Steve Canole and his team. And Darcy Wilmot uh, will have played, by this by the time this season's out, you know, he will have played almost as many finals as home and away games <laughs> in his career. <laughs> not yeah. quite, but it's no. not a world away. Right, you mean, yeah. Not a world away. Um, so then we, we get to halftime. The lines are up, you know, after – because Port did get the ascendancy, got in front midway through the second mm. quarter. And and those three goals, I think it was, that yeah. they kicked, they looked really sharp. The, the movement was quick. You're seeing Port at their best sort of um, transitioning the ball so quickly, it's hard yep. to stop them. And you'd think if they'd kicked a few of those earlier goals, they probably should have. At that stage, they would have been up by three, four goals. And and there would have been a sense of, oh dear, around the gabba. Like it would have felt a little bit ominous. Instead, it just gets them ahead. And, and maybe the most impressive part of the, the night for Brisbane was the fact that immediately after that, Brisbane fought back straight away and and ended up going to halftime with the biggest lead of the night so far. Yeah, kicked the three goals just before halftime, including I think Zorko's was the last one just before the break off a step, which was a terrific finish. That was yeah. a difficult, difficult goal. And yeah, I think they just wrestled back that moment because it felt like Brisbane, despite the yips of Port, sort of had control of general play for chunks of that first half and then like you said, Port just went bang, 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 got their ball movement going. Horn Francis started looking really dangerous around the stoppages. Mm. Uh, but Brisbane really steadied the ship and kicked those three goals before the break. And you thought, oh, okay, that feels about what it should be, despite the goal-kicking woes of Port. But it feels about right, 16 points. And, uh, yeah, they had that little bit of breathing space to work with, which proved important. Once we get to this third quarter, even though mm. sort of they weren't quite trading goals, but by midway through the third quarter, that margin was still about the same, even yes. though Port had made another run. So, yeah, that was a crucial period in the game, that last five, ten minutes of the second quarter. And then we, we've already touched on this, but we, we get into the third quarter and, and the moment it really started to shift, the, the moment that the the whole spirit of the place moved was the, the double Charlie Cameron goal. Um, now, in terms of folklore at the Gabba, we have, you know, everyone doing their maths to see if we're in the top four against mm. West Coast in 2021. We have the PA system breaking before the Richmond final in 2019. We have the lights what? out earlier mm. this year, among many, many other iconic moments at the Gabba. 
But the the double country road sing along, I think, is right up there in in the top echelon of Gabba moments. Um, I noticed this a couple of months ago that there was starting to become this movement with the crowd where the the next few lines of or the second ver- or chorus of country roads would be sung after the song died mm. down while the play was still happening or the next play was happening. And I think it's happened three or four times this year that you'll get the because the the way the song cuts out on the PA system just as the next chorus starts again. Mm. And so this has happened a little bit this year. It's, it almost had been building perfectly for it to then happen in a final. And for it to happen, for us to be all singing Country Roads uh, sort of a cappella as, uh, as the next set of outs takes place, it gets straight to Charlie, it goes through, off we go again. Uh, I genuinely think, Mike, that's, that's in my top five Brisbane Lions supporting moments in my life. <laughs> the, the joy, the, the unity, the, um, the absolute, as I mentioned earlier, carnival-type atmosphere of it. That was that was special. Did it feel special in the media box? Oh, we were just laughing, to be honest. <laughs> Everyone was just laughing. I, that is ridiculous. Like the, the, you hadn't quite finished that verse. Like it was yes. still the final throws of the verse, and here's Charlie streaming into goal. We were just laughing, to be honest. It was just yeah. an incredible moment. And I've said this many times. We don't quite get the same atmosphere behind glass that you do outside. So you do lose that little bit of punch from the crowd but you could sense it it was pretty clear that that was a moment <laughs> that was oh. a big big moment and a really memorable one so yeah i will i mean yeah i will remember that for a long time as well it's such a standout moment and i love so much that it came in his 200th he, yeah. he had a pretty indifferent night on the on the hole and we've got a couple of questions about him that come through often about holds and things like that he was unlucky a few times i'd say would be the yep. generous way of putting it he got stitched up he was dragged down a couple of times Look, I've got this in the agenda to talk about a bit later, so I'll, I'll put a, a pin in that for now. But um, but I agree with you is the the spoiler ahead of that. <laughs> um, but I did think in terms of the the most beloved lions we've had, um, you know, since the the merger, Charlie and Country Roads and and what happened in that moment was a, a sign that this player has worked his way into the hearts of every Lions fan more than like I think he's honestly almost up there with some of the Premiership heroes now in terms of the affection and the goodwill that is felt towards him. And I will just say, when we get to that prelim, that I think the singing the next chorus of Country Roads is now a thing that's just going to happen at the Gabba. Yep. So that's going to be pretty thrilling. We might get to see a repeat of that occur in the prelim. It was just quickly, Dom, during the week I had to do AFL Daily for um, the podcast we do for AFL.com. And Damien Barrett, we just touched on Brisbane in one of our segments and Damien Barrett said, oh, we, we're talking about Charlie Cameron and, Damo said that, oh, I think uh, he ignites that crowd more than anyone maybe in Lions history, including the premiership players. And then we finished the podcast and he said to me, that's not too far, is it? And I said, no, no, no. I said, I, th- I think you're right, mate. I think back to Acker and mm. um, this is obviously not a slight on the premiership players, but just in terms of, you're right, I think affection's a great word that the crowd has for Charlie. I said, I think that's bang on. Like yeah. there isn't, yeah. th- there's never been that same feeling that – uh, the way he ignites that Gabba crowd, like everyone's up every time Charlie goes in the ball and when he kicks a goal, it's just euphoria. And then Chris Fagan sort of came out and said something similar the next day in his pre-match press conference, how, um, yeah, just how he lifts that crowd like no one he's ever seen before. And we saw it at its absolute pinnacle on Saturday night. So great point that you raise. And yeah, I yeah. think like there's a lot of people listening to this that'll have um, – I met a guy, uh, Stuart, a couple of weeks ago, and he said he's missed about five home games in 30 years. So he'd be a great one to tell us, like, who mm. who's the crowd lifted for the most? Who's the most popular line? And Charlie has got to be right at the top of that list. 
probably second behind Zach Bailey. They probably, the I mean, yeah. Them. I mean, that's he's just on his own. He's well, in a, a stratosphere, stratosphere on his yeah. own, isn't he? Yeah, no, I think so. That's think just that's we don't have to put that caveat there every time. That's just <laughs> as you know, as read. Um, I will say uh, on on Charlie, and I know I've made this comment before, but I think as Lions fans. A little bit of mindfulness is is necessary here to just really make sure we're appreciating every bit of this because I did have a moment last night of knowing we all know how the cycle turns, how the wheel turns in yeah. footy. And, and you know, you look at West Coast up the top for ages, mm. look at them now. You look at Hawthorne up the top for ages and, and where they are now. It's not going to be a world away where we are battling away in Sunday twilights and mm. the, the ball comes into the 50 and, you know, we've got some players who are just battling out, you mm. know, careers trying to make a go of it and, you know, aren't able to really do much at all. And we'll all turn to each other and say, do you remember Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember the double country roads night in a qualifying final? Mm. And we're living in those days right now. So amidst the anxiety and the nerves of it all, just to take a moment to soak in what a what a true gift this is as a footy fan. Yeah, and he's – we – you're right. It's easy to take it for granted. I was watching that uh, the other qualifying final on Thursday night. Melbourne's hammering away, and Cosie Pickett, who I love watching play, he's exciting mm. in a similar mould to Charlie in terms of his speed and evasion and uh, just nose for the ball. A couple of great chances in the last quarter that he sprayed, yeah. and I thought, you know what? If that's Charlie, he's kicking that, and yes. we expect him to kick it because he does kick it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what he does, and and it is easy to take it for granted that, oh, of course Charlie's going to kick those goals or um, run onto Link McCarthy's handball at a million miles an hour and kick another goal, but it's it's a valid point you bring up that it's it's not as – he makes that stuff look easy. It's not, Yeah. and he will be missed, and hopefully he's got five years left in front of him, and he might the way he plays, but – yeah, it's uh, it's a special time to be seeing him totally. at his absolute peak. Just enjoy every bit of it. And he's a man who likes a prelim, Charlie Cameron, mm. historically, uh, against Geelong years ago. Uh, all right, well, let's just quickly t- cover off the, the second half uh, outside of that. I mean, the other big talking point probably was one of the most bizarre, probably since the introduction of the tactical sub, most bizarre moments we've seen where Port activate their sub, Darcy Byrne-Jones, off Travis Boke on I noticed Spoke run onto the ground and then like seconds later, I think McK- Trent McKenzie goes down with his injury. There'd already been another injury. Who's the other injury to? D- uh, Dylan Williams uh, Dylan went Williams. off went off with a hammy. Uh, no offense to Dylan Williams. I hadn't heard of him before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when someone said Dylan Williams is injured. Good, honestly, very good player. Uh, and he, he had a moment in the first quarter, certainly in the first half, where he was one-on-one with Charlie Cameron deep. Mm. Ball came in and Williams outmarked Charlie Cameron. I thought, oh my God, that is a hell of a one-on-one win, mate, because that is a nightmare situation for a defender. Is he a new player? Is he new-ish? Yeah, relatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like I've totally missed that whole... Someone said, oh yeah, Dylan Williams is out of the game. And I said... He was in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Who's still like I don't, and I mean that with absolutely no offense. But normally, with all due respect, <laughs> normally you're across most of the the players in you know top teams. So that was just a surprise to me to to have him out. But so so what Port have happened is they've just made their sub on a tactical basis, and then instantly they're two players down on the bench. Now this two defenders, two defenders, which now, they're already thin in. Right. So you could probably make the argument that. Um, that this was a mistake on the the Port coaching front. Now, obviously, you don't know what's going to happen in a game, but it was an early time to make your tactical sub. In saying that, Brisbane were starting to get a run on, and you probably, as Ken Hinckley, would have felt like, we need to make a change now to try to wrestle a momentum back and 
and Boke's the right guy to yeah. do that. And if I wait another five minutes, there could be three more Brisbane goals and then off we go. So it's a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario for Port Adelaide there. But um, that just turned to be the the most unlucky um, sort of uh, happening in the game. That's what it was. You just have to you just have to shrug your shoulders and laugh if you're Kenny. Yeah. Because it's just bad luck. Like Travis mm. Boak sitting there ready to get injected into this match and you throw him in there halfway through the quarter. As you say, thinking, righto, now's the time. We can't let this get any further out of control. And then bang, bang, two defenders go down. And, and the tactical – the player that he took off, Darcy Byrne-Jones, can obviously – play in defense so yes. that was another defensive option that he didn't have at his disposal so yeah. it was really just a bit of a calamity and quite unfortunate for for Port Adelaide but I think the the horse hadn't quite bolted by then it was about to and I don't think that made any significant difference at all Brisbane was was on a roll by that stage I agree with you I do think it does make it though quite unlikely we're going to see the tactical sub activated before the fourth quarter for the rest of the mm, finals potentially series. yeah I think other coaches will look at that and go oh okay let's let's be cautious there um Maybe barring, you know, if you're 40, 50 points down, you might feel you need to. Um, speaking of a Lions point of view, Mike, from that stage onwards, the fourth quarter uh, was largely clinical and and just got the job done from there. Um, I thought that was a really actually noteworthy thing, though, because fourth quarters have been Brisbane's worst all year. And that's why even with the strong lead at three-quarter time, I, I was saying to the people around me, just need to give me 10 minutes of this quarter before I start to feel too confident. I mean, I'm remembering Melbourne's run on of goals after the, the lights. lights at the Gabba. And what well, I know. And what happened? We made that joke in the press box, really? actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Port, just, Port really yeah. needs the lights to go out about now. <laughs> uh, and then obviously what Melbourne did at the MCG in the fourth quarter as well. So there were some of those nerves in the air of, of what, what might emerge. But in the end, Brisbane um, played one of their better fourth quarters for the year as well to close out the game. I actually got to confess, I didn't see much of the fourth quarter because by this stage, I was able to, I was writing like a feature analysis type piece for the website. And by three quarter time, I decided I was going to write something around Joe Danaher. So I actually just used most of the fourth quarter to write, just glancing up to see what was going on, incidents and moments and whatever. But I didn't see much, but there was certainly never any panic or any any dramas for Brisbane, which you rightly say. There's been moments even in the last six weeks where they've had leads they had a six-goal lead against Geelong. That got whittled away. Adelaide they had a four-goal lead. That got whittled away. And they held on in all of these games, but they did have those scares before they managed to secure the four points. But there was nothing like that last night. Speaking of you writing the feature on Joe, we did get a question in from Pat wondering why you did not write the match report for the game. Oh, interesting question, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how do I say? Okay, so this okay, this is this is what happens, right? So yep. so AFL.com, who I work for, we have two reporters on most games uh, come finals time, and we split the duties. But we've got a pretty we're pretty short handed in terms of staff, to be honest. We don't have a ton of journos, and um, all the other guys had sort of been used up in the previous finals. And my final being fourth, we were just down to me basically. So we used. Uh, AAP's copy for the match report. We just thought this was the better use of resources. AAP, we could use their copy for match report and Murray Wenzel wrote that, who I know quite well and is a... Um, not that I have to be confident in how Murray writes, but I, 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 I like the way Murray writes and I was confident that his, his stuff would be great on our website. So we used AAP's copy for that and it allowed me to write something a bit a bit different and do like a feature or an analysis and just add an extra bit of content on our website. So There we go. Behind the scenes... Yeah, just the there. decisions that have to be made. <laughs> <laughs> and from a media point of view, one other question for you. Were you surprised that Chris Fagan seemed kind of, I wouldn't say underwhelmed, 
but he did seem very measured in the post-match press conference. You, you compare it to 2020, Brisbane win the qualifying through to the prelim, that, that game against Richmond. He's fist-pumping on the boundary line. He's grinning in the post-match. Mm. You know, it was very, very measured and clinical last night. He's just got this air of, and I wrote this on Friday, he's just got this air of calmness around him now. Yeah. I think he feels, I'm not a body language guy or whatever, but I do feel like he's just got this assuredness about his team. He's like, we've got a good team here and we've got more to do. Well, that's the way I'm looking at him. He he's a He is a guy that lives in the moment, though, in terms of he appreciates what they're accomplishing and whatever, but... I just feel like in the last couple of weeks, he knows they've got a good team. He knows they've got their bases covered mm. and that he almost expects that type of performance. Maybe not the the margin of victory, but he expects them to play a certain way and they did that. So and I think he knows this is a – and he said it, this is the best chance under his watch of yeah. a premiership and to do that, they've got to win a couple more games. So, yeah, I understand why people might look at it and think it's measured or not quite as excitable as what – as what Fags has been previously. He's proud as punch in the way they're playing. Yeah. But he's I just reckon he's looking a bit further down the road. We'll we'll see him throw the headset into the air again in the grand final win. Save it for oh, this time. Oh yeah, God. Could you imagine him? <laughs> <laughs> that because that's I mean, there's so many shots of Fags running onto the ground, you know, cheering after yeah, the game. Arms or, out, waiting to hug someone. I know. <laughs> and and as I mentioned, the iconic one after the West Coast top four one was the throwing the headset into the air, which I'd love to hear from someone at the Gabba if that broke the headset or not. I'm guessing it probably <laughs> did. Um but but I think he's saving that for a grand final win now. I think I think all the other levels have been defeated. That's what it's it's mm. saved for for his excitement now. Um, any injuries from the game, Mike, that you're aware of? Because that was what, a question a few people not, asked. Not that I know of. A couple of people did message, <clears throat> excuse me, which I didn't see until this morning, about Cam Rayner. Like I said, I didn't watch much of the match. None of the other journos. To be mm. honest, a lot of the other journos would have had their heads down riding as well. But I can comment a bit on the Rayner one. Because yeah, he, fr- he, he ran off to the bench in front of us. Um, quite confident that was just cramp because yeah. he was you know he he seemed to be struggling to move and then he was down on the ground sort of stretching um and cramp. it was the cramp and so he sort of hobbled off with that with maybe five or so minutes left and, and didn't come back on i think from that point so uh quite confident that that's just cramp i saw in uh, the footage after the uh, the game in the rooms he was wandering around uh, uninhibited no sort of ice on anything or anything like that so i think you can write that one down to cramp pumped his pickle juice in he'd be good to go again yeah. but um and i I haven't had time because we are recording early on a Sunday. I haven't had time to check in with the club, but there was certainly didn't seem any fears post-match last night. No one seemed to have any question marks about injuries. Well, Mike, uh, there we go. There's 45 minutes on the game. We haven't even done our <laughs> Raw Deal medal vote, so let's jump into them. Now, obviously, as we've mentioned, all votes do double in finals. We've covered off on a few of these players already, but I might go you to give me your two, four, and six as it is in finals first, Mike. Oh, yeah. Now you've confused me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm giving two to Joe Danaher. Yep. Four to Cam Rayner and six to Hugh McCluggage. Okay, there we go. So I have slightly changed them. I was wrestling with this as well. I've given Joe the two, but I've given Hugh the four and Cam the six. And uh, the Hugh that's a fair split, I think. To yep. be honest, it's a, that's a that was a tough decision. Those top two trying to to separate them was tricky. I mean, you weren't just sorry, you weren't just going with your pre-finals narrative of <laughs> Cam Rainer getting a couple of best no, on grounds. Uh, not quite, not quite. No, I I think the reason I went with Cam in the end was because I felt when the game was on the line, when it was sort of neck and neck, that was when every touch he had was was impactful and um. 
And I think, you know, if you're talking about sort of winning the momentum of a game, Cam was so instrumental in that area. But, I mean, we've touched on him quite a bit already. Uh, I think we should talk a bit about the other two. We'll start with Joe, who you wrote a brilliant piece about, afl.com.au, if you, you haven't read it yet. That, that probably Joe came into certainly last year's final series under a lot of pressure about how he's played in big games. And and you summed it up brilliantly in your piece that that he's just, there's no pressure anymore on that front. He's he's doing it. Yeah, he just does. And I've put a sentence in there about how reliable he is now. Mm. That's just not a word we've ever associated with Joe Danaher ever. Yes. But when you go and watch, I think even the couple of set shots he had last night, there is like a calmness around him as well. Yeah, which, yeah. Which... Yeah, he does have this chaos about the style of game that he plays when the ball's on the deck. You're never quite sure what's going to happen with him. Mm. But those set shots look so calm. I think there was one in the third quarter. Now, I can't remember the margin. They might have been four goals in front at the time. And Joe Danaher had a shot from the like a 45-degree angle, and he just went back and flushed it straight through the ball, straight through the middle of the post. And he thought, boy, that never looked like missing. And it didn't feel like he was rushed or he had any anxiety at all. And I love the way he's playing. He started off well. He came up at the ball, took a couple of marks. Should have been paid another mark or or an, or an arm chop against a Lear that didn't get paid. But he, he, uh, yeah, just all facets of his game. Whether the ball's in the air, he's competing so well with the ball in the air. He's hardly getting outmarked at all. Mm. When it's on the ground, he's just as good as anyone his size. Uh, he's a team. He does think team. I do think he's a team first player. He's got like. He does get a little hungry around goals sometimes, but he's generally looking out for his teammates. And there's just an assuredness about the way he plays now. He seems very, re- very relaxed and very confident with his own game at the moment. Yeah, that's a confident and relaxed mm. are the two words, aren't they? So I think it bodes really well for what lies ahead. Um, and the, the the idea still of Joe Danaher in the grand final parade makes me laugh so much that <laughs> yeah. it has to happen for that alone. Just because I'd, I'd love to... The thing is, we're probably never going to hear Joe's side of this. The Lions could win a flag and maybe in 20 years, he'll sit down and open I can tell you, it. I am pushing to get <laughs> Joe Danaher. I am pushing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm needling away at the lines and it pushing to speak to Joe. <laughs> oh, and I, please do. That would be... And if you do, you got to figure out the let it go thing. Oh, That's, yeah. I've got to be on the list, Mike. <laughs> that way. If I do get if. to speak to him, which is a long shot because Joe's not a big talker, <laughs> Yeah, that will be a question asked and revealed on this show. <laughs> well, can you also put in the request, because we spoke about going to spend a weekend down at his place in the Northern Rivers, yeah. a raw deal weekend with, at Joe's property. Could you put that request in as well? Yeah. See how you go with He'd that. He'd love to have yeah. a big family along, the raw deal family. <laughs> <laughs> we can do our next watch party at Joe's. Yeah. <laughs> weekend at Joe's, I love it. Um, let's talk a bit about Hugh. Now, we actually got a question that I wanted to touch on here. Chris said... As good as it is watching Jasper tear it up, am I the only one that thinks it has? it's tinged with a little bit of sadness thinking about what Will Ashcroft will be doing out there? And obviously, I agree, it's sad, to, very sad to see Will not being a part of this. And I'm mindful of how hard it would be for him to be watching it. Sucks. He'd be Absolutely watching sucks. thinking, oh, good on you guys, but I should be out there. But I, I, the one thing I will say on that is Simon Black in our finals preview made the comment that Will Ashcroft's injury has probably given Hugh McCluggage a more prominent role in the midfield. And so I think the game Hugh played last night probably wasn't the role he would have been playing if Will's in the team. So I kind of think you the thing has sort of worked itself out for this season pretty well because Hugh McCluggage, like, I mean, his best footy has come this year since Will went down. Yep. He struggled early. He's come good since then. And then last night just absolutely stood up in a final when Lockie Neal was was being heavily manned and, and Dunkley was was pretty good, but but mm. never quite at his absolute best. 
and then Hugh comes in and, and becomes the starring midfielder. Yeah, I I think you're like you're right, and this made his there's clarity around his role now. He's not spending as much time on the wing. He's back to being pure mid, mm. which with Will in there, there was a bit more wing again for Huey. He was splitting time a bit. He was fantastic last night, Hugh. I mean, obviously, I gave him the top votes, but I'm not going to pick holes in Cam Rayner. What the way you summed him up was great. Like his impact when the game was really up for grabs in that first half. I still thought even at half time that Hugh was still Brisbane's second best player. I agree with yep. you. I thought Cam was Brisbane's best in the first half. Hugh was great. So clean. Every disposal counted. Mm. I thought while other guys were fumbling and missing targets and Hugh was the one that was like igniting that ball movement from midfield forward. Won a stack of – I don't know how many clearances he finished with, maybe eight or nine. It felt like while Lockie was being held – down at stoppages, Hugh was the one that was elevating his game there. Mm. Not just winning ball, but it was just his ball use. I think he would have – I know he ended up with the most score involvements on the ground, and it was noticeable out there. I thought, thought he was fantastic. And he did spend a chunk of that first – he went down the rooms at one stage. Yes, yeah. He was off the field for five or ten minutes. Like, he missed a chunk of that second quarter, I think it was. And But when he came back on, he made up for lost time. Thought he was fantastic. And, and I think it's everything that Chris Fagan has said a bit in the media about how, you know, this when we came into the finals in 2019, it's still Cam Rainer's, what, that's his third year, I think? Second year. Second, second year. season, yep. right? It's Hugh McCluggage and Jared Berry's third season. You know, th- these are very fresh players. Mm. And last night you see players four years on now moving into the prime of their careers. And as you'd expect, they they're standing up to the mark. And and it's uh it's it does feel like like the uh, the Cubs have grown up to use a, a bit of a Lions-themed analogy there, Mike. But it was from from both Hugh and Cam, there was a maturity and assuredness and a, and a sense that they aren't anymore the, the young, promising potential stars. They are the stars now. They are. And it hasn't escaped me that you know who we've given our top two votes to. Mm. Podcast rivals. <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> what are we doing? That's just to show there's no animosity, guys. No animosity from our end. Well, top votes. They haven't got the votes of the podcasting. No, that's, no. That's yeah, you can have the on-ground votes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Mike. A uh, couple of things to cover off, and then a few questions, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, I want to give a quick mention to um, one of our Raw Deal members, actually Vanessa, who was sitting right behind me at the game, who leant over at one stage and said, "You're Dom, aren't you?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "I'm one of your Raw Deal members." <laughs> then we had a bit of a chat. Uh, Vanessa and the people she was sitting with, they actually said they were really glad to hear that the Lions have lost in Melbourne every time I've gone down because they said we're the same. Every time we've gone down, the Lions have lost and we thought we were the curse. So, um, I mean, if we win on in the prelim, the, I am going for the grand final. I'm sorry, everybody. But my friend James, who I've sat with for years, he's armed me up. He, he comes up to me at the game last night and he says... I know you're worried about going to Melbourne, that the Lions fans are going to hate you, you know, if you go down there after the the curse every time that that you go to Victoria to see us play. So I've I've done you a solid, Dom. I've, I've helped you out to sneak through uh, Melbourne unnoticed. I, get, I bought you a disguise. Oh, disguise. This is what uh, James delivered to me last night <laughs> at the game. It's a tropical-themed we'll party glasses. We'll have to post that, on your, um, <laughs> post that on Dom's Twitter. Go and I check out do Dom's that. Twitter. <laughs> uh, so James has gone to, I'm guessing, one of the $2 shops. Yep. Bought a pair of like disguise tropical-themed Very glasses. discreet, that'd be. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking I could walk through the airport with these on and no lines fan will know I'm there. And maybe maybe whatever the curse is, the curse won't know I'm there either. So the curse will let the Lions win the flag because they won't know I'm I there. I just think in these instances, Dom, sometimes this is the way curses have to be broken. Totally agree. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, imagine your first victory in Melbourne exactly. is a grand final. That's it. <laughs> yes, please. I'll it's take that. The light has to be broken. Um, okay, let's touch briefly, Mike, on prelim um, ramifications here because obviously we now get to have the, the week off and see what will happen, but it's going to be Carlton or Melbourne um, who pose different threats in and different mm-hmm. propositions. I mean, one is the team we've been dueling with for a few years in the Demons who we knocked out last year and all of that sort of spice in the air. Round 23 was the last time um, that, that we – oh, no, so they were here this year with the lights out. And then round 23 last year. So it's always been spicy at the Gava against the Demons. And then there's Carlton and Vossi um, potentially coming back to the Gava in a prelim. Which of the two matchups excites you more as a, as a prospect? Just on I mean, that, they, they both excite me, but I think I'll, I'll break it down this way. I'd find it weird – having Vossi come back to Brisbane and he's not a villain, but yeah, no yeah. one wants Vossi to win. Yeah, <laughs> I'd find that a bit odd. Yeah. And I also do just think I'd still, despite their scoring woes, I think Melbourne do would scare me as an opponent a little bit more, I think. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. I did see again, got retweeted into my feed, a Melbourne supporter saying, Oh no, we're going to need 300 inside fifties to kick a winning score against this <laughs> Brisbane side. So, um, but but look, uh, there are ways Melbourne could still retool that forward line, uh, yeah. uh, and that's the thing. Every other part of Melbourne's game is elite. They just, I mean, 32 more inside fifties than Collingwood is outrageous on Thursday night. If they can find a way to convert, you know, even one sixth of them, yep. then suddenly they're probably premiership favourites again. So that I, I, my sense is it's probably going to be Melbourne for that reason. Sorry to my one of my very good friends, Jim, who's a diehard Blues fan, but I do think it's probably going to be and, the Ds. And no one's going to be shocked if Carlton wins. No, Not shocked. No, no, no. Because they've we've seen the scoring power. They, I mean, they've got the best forward in the competition. Mm. Uh, well, not arguably, he is. Charlie Kerno's the best forward in the competition. So he's the toughest guy to match up on. Uh, like they've got. Great key defenders. Jacob Wiedering's one of the best key defenders in the comp, and we know how strong their midfield is. Cripps, mm. Walsh is back. Chera was awesome the other night. Hewitt does good, um, not shutdown jobs, but he's a good defensive midfielder. He's like Carlton's equivalent of Josh Dunkley to Brisbane. So they've got great players all over the field, Carlton. It wouldn't be a shock, but Melbourne just feel like Oliver's played another game now. Mm. And uh, just Max Gorn maybe more than any other player that's left in this final series would worry me if I was Brisbane. Just his influence around the ground. We saw what he did in that uh, match at the MCG when Melbourne ran over Brisbane late. It was like the Max Gorn. He's so hard to match. He would scare me, and that's why Melbourne would scare me if I'm Brisbane. Yeah, no, I think I feel the same. It would be a pretty epic matchup. I it mean, would be. And yep. if you assume Collingwood will win through to the grand final, that would mean Brisbane's path to a premiership means playing each of the other top four teams. Yeah, and, that, and that's what you have. That's what you should. I yep. think you should have to do if you're a top four team. Yep. Yep. Agree with you on that front. Um, do you think it's likely to be the Saturday prelim? Yep. Okay. I, look, I I, that seems likely. Normally, the top ranking team gets the the Friday yep. night. The only two hitches with that is uh, if you need to give all semifinalists a seven day break, not a six day break. Brisbane would need to play on the Friday night um, because obviously the Saturday. Uh, semi-final is going to be the Port Adelaide first True. Giants Yeah, game. I hadn't thought of that. And so yeah. if they're playing then on Friday night against Collingwood, the winner of that game, they only get six days either side to travel into state. And the other hitch in the plan, uh, of course, is that if it's going to be Saturday, it will have to be the twilight. So that, you know, if it is Melbourne, for example, yeah, they can get, get home that That's night. That's true. Not, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So th- those are the, the only two hitches with that plan. I guess we'll wait and see. I think the other interesting scheduling dilemma is that the Broncos have a home prelim that weekend too. Mm. And, um, I just wonder whether the AFL might wait and see what the NRL schedule first. I can't imagine so. 
Nah, they seem too scared by the NRL. Nah, they never ever. And it's it's funny how many times there's been clashes now, isn't there? Yeah. Probably three or four now, and both venues have sold out or been near to sellouts on every occasion. So it feels mm. like there's enough sporting lovers in Brisbane to go to both. But gee, as a like, yeah, okay, I'm an Aussie rules guy first and foremost these days. But as a sports loving fan, I would love to be able to watch both matches in full, like at the yes. either at the venue or on the TV or whatever. I'd hate to have them clashing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th- that'll be the interesting one because you would think if it's, for example, the Broncos are the Friday and the Lions are the Saturday, you'd think both of them will get most TVs in Brisbane tuning totally. into them. Totally. Otherwise, you're splitting it down the middle, yep. you know. And so that that'll be a that'll be an interesting one for sure. Um, we'll save a lot of this, Mike, for our prelim episode next week. But there's two words I need to say. And they are Jack Gunston. This is going to be the talking point of the next two weeks. Dev Robertson was probably the player who came in for Gunners in the end when they retooled the setup. Um, Dev was was okay, but probably had a quieter game mm. against Port Adelaide. Jack Gunston is, by all accounts, going to be fit and ready to go for the prelim. Is Jack Gunston going to be cut, brought back into this team? What's your sense? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I don't think so. Um, they've seen how well this setup works. Uh, Jack Gunston's missed a month of footy now. I know he missed a month of footy like, you know, halfway through the season and he sort of came back fresh against West Coast, but that's West Coast in the middle of the season, not Melbourne or Carlton in a cutthroat preliminary final. So I'd be really surprised just in terms of Jack's preparation and also the team setup which has worked so well the last mm. few weeks. So, no, nah, I, I, it will be a talking point. You're right. I don't think it'll be that big a talking point, though. Okay. I'd, yeah. I am, think, I, am I a bit too oh. far in this path? You obviously think that this is a genuine consideration. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's going to play. Yeah, really? I think okay. he's going to play. Uh, I, and for a couple of reasons, I think the I think the whole recruiting of him was as this player who stood up in finals before. I have a sense that, really every player on that list needed to absolutely cement their spot to to hold him out. And I'm not quite sure Dev did. No, I, I agree with that part of it. I and do agree with that. I think Chris Fagan will look at Melbourne's um, key defensive stocks. I think Chris Fagan will look at, assuming it's Melbourne for that matter, for the, in this instance, Chris Fagan will look at Melbourne's tall structure generally and we'll think, I have someone sitting here who's kicked more goals than any other t- player in the finals team this year. And he's now fit and ready to play. Am I going to pick Dev Robertson, who had a bit of an underwhelming final against Port instead of Jack Gunston? Oh, look, it's going to be, if he does it, it's going to be explosive. I don't think he should. I mean, gosh, if you've listened to one minute of this podcast yeah. this year, you know we are two tool forwards all the way. But I, I, can't, I just have a sense that, that this might be what happens. Let's save this chat for next week. Yeah. But let's let's open this chat up to including Darcy Fort and Jared Lyons. Yep. Yep. As a potential Dev Robertson replacement. If you're looking at Melbourne, I've just talked about how good Max Gorn is. Yes. Does Darcy Fort come in as like a double team mm. with Oscar McInerney on Max Gorn? These are discussions we can have next week. But it's food for thought. Interest. Very I'm interested so. that you think that Gunston's a big chance. So yeah. let's pick this up next week. And the good news is that the Lions have a VFL prelim in this yeah. week, which is great from a, a team preparation point of view to still have everyone else playing high level competitive footy. Um, we haven't really had any time to talk about the VFL or even the, the women on this podcast. Apologies. We will make up for all of that once this finals run for the men is over, but we are sort of one track mind a little bit at the moment here. 
Uh, and Mike, one other talking point about this week off now, because obviously Chris Fagan put this on the agenda a few years ago. And the stats, uh, just to remind everybody now, are that from 2000 to 2016, 28 of 32 qualifying final winners went on to play in the grand final. So almost all of them pretty much uh, in that run. In the era of the pre-finals by what is about a 94, 95% record of winning a qualifying final, making a grand final, has moved to a 50% record. So six of 12 qualifying final winners have made it through to the grand final since the pre-finals buy has come in. Um, crucially, though, last year, both Sydney and Geelong did do it. They both won their qualifying and then won through to the grand final. Now, we know Chris Fagan is aware of this. He put it on the agenda a few years ago. Um, do you think the club's going to be very mindful in a new way of how they manage that this week? Oh, what I was interested in, I asked him, at his pre-match press conference on Friday was how they handled the longer break, just in general, because we know round one against Port Adelaide was coming off a two-week break and they were poor. And then the mid-season by, they played Hawthorne and were poor then as well. So the two long breaks they've had this year put in two of their worst performances of the year. And this time, obviously, the qualifying final, they played superbly against Port Adelaide. So I've asked Chris Fagan, how did you think your preparation this time? And he said, previously, they gave the players three or four days off where he said after the St Kilda match, the players had Sunday and Monday off and then they were back in as if it was a normal preparation. So they had almost two full weeks or 12 days leading to the game, a really, really hard training session on the Saturday between games. So I presume he's going to go with that setup again. So it's only one game of evidence that we've seen against Port Adelaide, but I like that thinking. It feels like there's much more continuity. Mm. It just feels like a bit as normal as you can get a preparation when you've got a two-week break between games. So yep. no, I liked that tinker that they made. Well, stay tuned for our prelim preview episode, which is where we'll, we'll cover off all the other big talking points ahead of that prelim as we all anxiously watch on Friday night to see who our opponent will be. Now, Mike, as we move past the hour mark, I know you have a bit of a hard out today to get into your Sunday activities. How long can you give me for questions? Have a look at the time now as we're recording. Let's go 10 minutes. 10 minutes. All right. 10 minutes of your questions. 10 minutes. Let's get going. It's a speed round of questions here. We've got heaps to get through, so we're going to give quick answers uh, on these ones. Uh, I'll just rattle through as many as I can. Firstly, a comment from Michelle saying, I was sitting about four rows behind Dom and I had to stop myself from screaming emergency pod at him at the end of the game. <laughs> you should have done that, Michelle. I was saying that to a couple of people on the, the walk out of the stadium. I ran into a few of our Raw Deal family as well on the walkout who all seem to be in a similar area there. Um, Sharon says, did Charlie Cameron intentionally miss the goal on the siren so the control room didn't have the dilemma of whether to play Country Roads or the club song? <laughs> uh, could we perhaps petition the club for a mashup in case we face a similar scenario in the prelim? It's an interesting point, Sharon, because I think they just play the club song. I don't think you get it. You don't get a goal song after the siren. But, so. but there would have been outrage at the Gabba if he kicked a goal <laughs> and we didn't get another go at Country Roads, Mike. So maybe a mashup's not a bad idea. Maybe not a bad idea, but yeah, straight to the club song. That's what everyone wants to sing after a match. Sorry, Charlie. Just for once, it wouldn't have been your moment. <laughs> Thanks for those who said they liked the idea of the Country Roads orchestral version as the song for the Lions montage. I should get on to Fox Footy about that. Uh, Simon, was that Cam Rainer's best ever game? Certainly up there. Collingwood earlier this year was yeah, pretty good Yeah, Collingwood earlier in the year was pretty damn good. But in a final... Yeah, c context of the match and mm. the... The meaning of it probably is, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Uh, this covers the thing we 
briefly touched on earlier. This comes from Jacob, but a few others threw in a similar question. Jacob says, does the club need to seriously look at a please explain on Charlie Cameron's treatment um, when he's running for the ball and the holds and tugs that happen? I think it's totally unfair and something needs to happen. Charlie would kick an additional 30 more goals a season if he did this, if they, they actually looked at it closely like they do with others. I saw a few people tweeting at me saying, um, if he got the the treatment Charlie Kerno gets at the Blues, that he would have kicked 100 goals in a season already. Um, we've we've spoken about this a couple of times before on the podcast, and I think sometimes players, I think we saw this with Reese Matheson in the head high free freeze a few years ago. He was starting to not be paid some ones that were legitimately there because he the umpires I think had been warned he can exaggerate these, mm. and so they they almost overcompensated. I think umpires have been warned. It was certainly a while ago, Charlie was instigating a lot of this stuff. He was holding and then he was being held back. And I think the umpires had a clear focus that that probably Charlie's giving as much as he's getting in this situation. And now I think it's overcompensated too far the other way and he's missing out because of that perception on a number that are legitimately there. Those wrestles are really hard to tell sometimes when they're, yes. you know, you're in such close contact. But there was a couple of pretty obvious ones last night where you could see his jumper being pulled when he was running for the ball or he was being dragged down. There was a couple of really, I thought, poor. Like first inspection last night, I thought there was a couple of poor ones that the umpires missed. Mm. Now, there was a bunch for both teams. I'm not going to get into the umpires favoring one team or the other but Charlie Cameron has some legitimate gripes and I sometimes the clubs do go and ask for a bit of a please explain it doesn't always get to the media but they might ask for a please explain on on what Charlie Cameron has to do to earn a free kick and look if a Lions fan out there wants to edit together some of the holds on Charlie into a video and you know let it go viral that wouldn't hurt maybe if you could track down the email address for the head of the umpiring department I'm sure that wouldn't be hard to find (laughs) Just uh, see, just email them and say, just notice something that concerned me a little bit. And uh, and then they'll show it at training and then Charlie get 15 free kicks in the prelim. <laughs> I think that seems to be how it works. Actually, we've spoken in the off season. We want to get an umpire on the show and sort of talk through with them, um, you know, how much of this stuff they do get. The, do you get shown an individual player's mm. t- tactics and be told to watch that? And so, I mean... I realise we're in a prelim final and I'm teasing an off-season episode with an umpire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we hope to do that a little bit later on uh, this year. Uh, we have Knight of Neb who says, uh, how can we hijack the MCG sound system so they can play country roads in the grand final? Which is a great question. I think, Knight of Neb, what we have to do there is all the Lions fans need to have a pact that we'll just start a cappella singing it. Now that we know we can do that, we need a good, clear starting point. That's the um, hard part. And I reckon, here's what I'm going to say. It's the moment the goal umpire's flags for the goals go down. He waves them down or she waves them down. The moment they go down, we all start singing country roads. Take it from there. Yeah. Let it ring around the, the MCG. So uh, that's our challenge for, for grand final day if we are there. We've got to get that one going, Lions fans. Um Dylan says, has Dunkley had a role change since Ashcroft has gone out? He hasn't quite been clicking for a while, and I can only think it might be down to Will not being there. What are your thoughts on that one? I don't think so. I think his role is pretty clear. He normally goes to one of, if not the most dangerous opponent, uh, opposition midfielder at stoppages, and then works off them from there. I just think, like a lot of guys in the competition, I reckon, the last month of the season, they started getting tired. Like He's had a massive workload. I know he missed a week or two. Mm. somewhere during the season but he has he, he's had a huge huge workload i think he was off the boiler fraction late in the season i thought he was okay last i thought he was actually decent or pretty good last night mm. a couple of those tackles on horn francis horn francis looked like he was about to jump away from stoppages a couple yes, of times yes. and 
Dunkley just put the vice tackle on him and brought him down. So I thought he was pretty good. But, yeah, not quite. I know the, the point is there. It's fair. Not quite at that level we saw in the first half of the season. But to use a cliche, he he has played his role, I think. And it does bode well. I mean, I think the the club will benefit from another week of at least slightly rested duties. He's also a reason why Port Adelaide's not able to get those clearances out the front of stoppages and yes. all that stuff we saw in the opening round. Like Dunkley's a huge part of that around those um, clearance clearances. Yeah, massively. When he's playing at his best, he is one of those players you don't notice all yep. that much, I think. Uh, Jeremy says, have you got a reason that Rich shouldn't be the sub in the prelim? I'll be so disappointed if he isn't and they pick Lions again. Uh, I've sentimentalist in me agrees with you, Jeremy. Uh, it'd be so good to see Dan Rich out there. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the main reason being that versatility-wise, JL can go on as a midfielder. He can play up forward if necessary, or he can go into the midfield and release someone else to play up forward. Whereas Richie really at this stage can only play off half back. Um, so uh, look, it's not impossible that Dan Rich gets into this team. I did have a moment when Connor McKenna looked a bit sore in the first quarter. I think it looked like he could have rolled his ankle or something. Or I thought, if McKenna's out, it it's either Pryor or Rich in. Correct, yep. And, and for finals experience and maturity, there's a good chance it to be Rich back in. So all it takes is one injury to a, a defender in the prelim and Dan Rich might be playing a grand final. So the rich, the, the sentimental rich dream isn't over, but it does have a lot of the, the Nathan Jones, Melbourne 2021 hallmarks to it, this one. Yeah, I think you summed it up well. It's not, unfortunately, you can't really let sentiment come into your selection no. at this time of year. And But Richie played VFL on Saturday, so that's a great sign for him. He'll get another game this weekend and he's mm. he's ready. If You're right, if one half back or one smaller defender gets injured he's him and Jackson Pryor next cab off the rank and there is a pretty good chance it could be Richie yeah definitely so we'll wait and see how the dream's unfold. still alive for him well it is and Mike could you imagine us doing a, a Facebook live teams chat for grand final week oh how good would that be yeah, we'll be in Melbourne frothing. actually for it so it will be that, that might be at the uh, at the live event if that happens so that that is a quick note out there that now that we're in the prelim we're going to start some behind the scenes conversations uh, around a Melbourne event but if you'd be interested in coming to if the Lions make the grand final a live raw deal podcast in Melbourne on grand final week uh, I think we could probably say now, keep your Thursday night free. Mm. Two nights before the, the grand final, that's the 28th of September. That's when we're going to aim to do something. So uh, keep that night free if you can. And uh, if the Lions make the grand final, we'll have some news for you. You'll have to pretty rapidly, you'll have like a four or five day turnaround to get your ticket sorted and get there. But that's what we're going to work on there. Um, and uh, I think, look, there's a bunch of others that have come through, but we might leave it there because... So many talking points, Mike. We could be here until, you know, for another five or six hours yeah. if we really wanted to, <laughs> going through it play by play. Um, but now we've got the joy of being able to, to sit back for a week, watch Carlton and Melbourne hopefully bash each other up a little bit in there and, you know, a few a few uh, soft tissue injuries wouldn't particularly go astray. There'll be a suspension <laughs> crop up for someone and an yeah. injury for someone. That's I'm the, already that, this disgusted. Is, this is the benefit yep, of Mike, winning straight through. I'm already disgusted at what Clayton Oliver is going to do on Friday night. Yeah. And if he doesn't get two weeks for it, <laughs> then honestly, <laughs> One's the enough, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The AFL's an absolute joke. Uh, all right, well, we'll be back in your podcast feed in the usual time next week, previewing the prelim final. We'll track down a Carlton or Melbourne-themed guest, possibly, to help us talk through it if we can. Um, it's going to be fever pitch this week uh, or next week, Mike, as that gets closer. As I've said, this is the week to bask. Next week the week is the week to feel sick with nerves. 
But it's another memorable moment, uh, Lions fans, in the midst of this incredible roller coaster journey so far. And hopefully, hopefully the promised land is now only two weeks away. We'll catch you next time here on The Raw Deal.